Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f What the f gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it. Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. You may recall a while back I did a podcast with Andy Shell of 59 North. Now Andy's trying to make a business out of taking people sailing with him. So if you're interested in getting some offshore experience, you might listen to this ad and see if it's something you're interested in. And by the way, I do recommend that you also subscribe to Andy's podcast, 59 North. Greetings, gang. This is Andy Shell from the 59 Degrees North Sailing Podcast. If you dig Franz's show here, you'll definitely dig my podcast, so subscribe for free over on iTunes. And if you're interested in getting out in the high seas yourself, join my wife Mia and I on our classic Swan 48 Eastbjorn, uh, that's Swedish for polar bear, on one of our upcoming ocean passages. Eastbjorn's a 1972 Sparkman Stevens Swan 48, perfectly configured for taking crews in style and comfort on long-distance offshore sailing trips. We sell four spaces per trip, with myself as skipper and either my wife Mia as mate or another professional sailing friend of mine who I hired to join us. Most passages are between five and seven days, with the occasional two to three week ocean crossing thrown in for the real adventurous among you. Got a bunch of trips coming up. In November, we're sailing south in the Caribbean 1500 from Annapolis to Tortola. Then in 2016, we're doing some trips in the Caribbean and a transatlantic next summer. Check out the full schedule on 59-north.com slash offshore. 59 degrees north. We're sharing the infinite wisdom of the high seas with those wise enough to seek it out. So come and join us. Well, I'm down getting my vehicle inspected. One of my four vehicles inspected. This is the Lexus. The old Lexus should pass inspection without too much trouble. Utah is one of those states that requires a safety inspection every year. And if you live in certain counties, you also have to get an emissions inspection. So it's a bit of a headache every year. There's a lot of states that don't require it. But Utah, even though we're a red state, supposedly, we have blue tendencies. We have more government than we need in Utah. I think I've complained about that in the past. Anyway, last weekend I did my big round hike up and down a couple thousand feet. I didn't really dilly-dally. I just pretty much did it straight through because I was running out of time. And if I go straight through, it takes about four hours. So it's a good long walk up and down. I think probably 1,500 to 2,000 feet, somewhere like that is the vertical gain and drop in the hike. Did not see any elk, any deer, any quail. Saw signs of them. I saw some signs of bear. Saw some old bear droppings, but that was all. And I did go mushroom hunting last week in the Uinta Mountains. There's a Utah Mushroom Society, and they have a monthly outing in the summer. We were pretty much skunk. There was one person that found a Boletus edulis, but that was all. 
I found a couple of mushrooms, but nothing to, to get excited about. Last September, I harvested a lot of edible mushrooms just up on our property, but I'll have to wait around. It's been really dry this summer. Not much else to tell you about my personal life, and I don't know why I even tell you about this, but I did get comments from people that they like my introduction, so I'll keep doing it. But before we get on to today's episode, I want to do my quick advertisement. If you're studying for the ASA 101, let's just say you want to be a sailor. You're tired of being a dreamer and you want to become a sailor. First thing you need to do is really learn the terminology of sailing. And a lot of that terminology, in fact, all the terminology of sailing and the basic maneuvers of sailing are covered in the ASA 101 series of lessons that I have. Sailing, learn to sail, basic keelboat certification, lessons for the ASA 101 exam. It's $29.99. I think it's 16 lessons and I'm not sure how many hours it is, but it's a lot of hours. I think it was over 400 minutes of audio instruction. Anyway, if that's of interest to you, there'll be a link in the show notes and a link at the site, the website, medsailor.com. Go there, click it, buy it. I'd appreciate it. If you're already beyond that, look at the ASA 103 and ASA 104, unless you're an expert sailor, and then just forget about it. But my guess is most people listening to this podcast want to become sailors. They're dreamers. There's a few of you out there that are already sailors, but I think most of you are dreamers. I want to make you into a sailor. Quit being a dreamer. All right. This episode, we're going to be talking about the Black Sea. Now, I've been thinking of moving my boat out of Turkey and Greece and moving back through the Mediterranean. I was really thinking heavily of going to Malta or Sicily next year, but after this interview, I'm, I'm sort of leaning to head up into the Black Sea and do Bulgaria and Romania because this will be the last chance I have. Once I start moving west again, I think I said east, but once I start moving west again, through the Mediterranean. I'm probably not coming back. I'll probably be doing other places like the Baltic and the French canals and other places. I think I've probably got maybe another 10 years of sailing in me before my body just doesn't handle it anymore. So I'm just looking at what I'm going to be doing over the next 10 years. And before I head west, out of Greece and Turkey, I may want to go up and do the Black Sea. I know I don't want to do the Turkish coast of the Black Sea because I drove along it in a bus a few years ago and it didn't really hold much appeal to me. And I don't even know if I'd like Bulgaria and Romania, but you won't know until you try. So, I think it's a great interview. I will give links to his website and his app that he's developed in the show notes. And when I was doing research on the Black Sea, there is not much out there. And if you can find any good web resources for me, let me know. I will include them in the show notes for this episode. But when I was searching on the internet, I found almost nothing on sailing in the Black Sea. This interview with Bogdan ended up going longer than an hour, so I broke it up into two episodes. This is the first part of the interview. All right, let's get on with it. I'm talking to Bogdan Grigorescu, and go ahead and correct me on the pronunciation, Bogdan. <laughs> sure, Franz. So, my name is Bogdan Grigorescu. I'm from Romania. I live in Bucharest, and I'm passionate about sailing. Um, I do most of, my, most of the sailing on the shores of the Black Sea, 
uh, although occasionally I also go cruising in the Mediterranean with friends. So, so far my sailing experience related to cruising is mostly related to cruising in, in the Mediterranean, in the Aegean Sea, and also along the, the shore, the Romanian shore of the Black Sea. Okay, and you have a website. I'm actually looking at your website as we're talking. I'm going to spell it out, M-E-M-P-A-P-E-U-R.com. Mempapur.com is how I would pronounce that. Yeah, yeah. That's the French name of my boat. Okay, and what does that mean? It means uh, without fear, but uh, it's usually... Um, it's a French expression uh, when someone is... Uh, tempted to do something that uh, he's not he or she's not sure about succeeding whether or not he'll be successful in in doing answering mem papeur uh, means something like uh, do not be afraid so uh, do, do not worry something like that it means without fear and and on your banner on your website it says one small sailboat with big dreams yeah because this is my first sailboat uh, that I bought, and it's a fairly small sailboat. It's an older sailboat that I bought from a very experienced French sailor. Uh, and it is a boat that has, due to his personality, it has a very uh, nice history. And uh, the dreams are not necessarily dreams of the... Well, they're... The dreams from the name uh, come from my aspirations of things that I would like to do uh, with this small boat in terms of cruising in the next couple of years. What are your plans? Tell us about it. Um, well, first of all, I started cruising, uh, sailing just by accident on a whim uh, four or five years ago. A good friend of mine uh, convinced me to, chart uh, to charter a boat in Greece, and I was reluctant for a while. But then we managed to put together a larger group of friends with another, with a skipper. We hired a skipper because none of, none of us had a skipper license at that point. And we chartered a boat. And the first moment we uh, left Athens, we left Athens on a Saturday uh, evening, heading uh, towards the Chiclades, heading to the south. And it was a beautiful. It was a beautiful evening uh, with a very calm sea. We motored most of the way, and it was my first sunset that I ever witnessed on on a boat. Uh, and it was a perfect sunset. We basically anchored. If you know the area, and I presume you know it, um, we anchored near Cape Sunio. Oh, uh, beautiful anchorage! Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah with the temple of Poseidon perched on a cliff. And we got there pretty late uh, at night. And being a full sailing season in July, uh, the spot was almost full of boats. So we barely, we, we could hardly, we barely managed to find uh, a place to drop anchor. And you can imagine that this was my first sailing experience. Uh, we sailed at, uh, sorry, we went swimming at night um, with, the, with the full moonlight and with the Temple of Poseidon lit above our heads. So it was magnificent. And from that point onward, uh, basically, I got really infatuated with sailing. 
And that was the point when I realized that in my childhood, I grew up with a lot of stories, not necessarily related to, to sailing, but related to sea and voyaging. Because my uncle, my father's younger brother, uh, used to be a captain in the Romanian commercial navy, which was very big uh, before the fall of communism during Ceausescu's uh, time. Uh, we had a large commercial fleet. It was one of the largest in Europe at that time. Uh, and I grew up with stories from remote harbors in Asia. And I used to read a lot in that uh, that time. But as I grew up, my interest, of course, diverged a lot from, from sailing. But And after this sailing trip in Greece, basically I realized that it's not impossible to go pretty much anywhere in the world with a small sailboat. And that was the point when I decided to get into sailing seriously. So I went to a sailing school. I got my sailing license. Um, and at the same time, up to that point, I've never, I've never been interested in sailing, in the racing side of sailing. And I started... There was also the time when the Vendée Globe in 2012 started, and I started following the, the competition from the start, and I got, I got into it a lot. I followed it very closely. So from that point onward, I've become passionate both about cruising, and that was the last year, that was the, the point that when I decided to buy this small boat, and also into racing. And this year, I also joined one of the top racing teams in, in Romania, taking part in, uh, in the local regattas in the national championship. Okay. I've, um, I've been sailing in Greece and Turkey for, well, a long time, probably about 10 years. And I've debated on, on sailing up in the Black Sea. But one time I took a, a, a bus. I, I took a, f a flight up to northern Turkey uh, trabs on and then took a bus all the way across the northern coast of Turkey and, and saw so few places that I would be interested in in pulling my boat into that I thought well maybe maybe the Black Sea's not the place I want to go but you've done quite a bit of sailing on the Black Sea mm -hmm. can you can you yeah. talk to me a little bit about it sure uh, well first of all I, I don't know too much about uh, Turkey, but I know about Bulgaria and Romania. So on the eastern and let's say, uh, sorry, on the western and northwestern a little bit part of the Black Sea. Uh, Bulgaria has a bigger tradition in sailing than Romania, and they have quite a lot of good facilities related to marinas in some of the in some of their more traditional towns along the, the, the shore of the Black Sea, such as Balchik, which is a really, really nice place. Um, Varna, of course, which is really big. And there's another one with a really nice fortress further south from Varna, but unfortunately I cannot remember the name right now. Uh, but if I'm, to, uh, if I, now I go quick, quickly to Romania because I'm more familiar with the Romanian shore. Uh, in terms of marinas and facilities for keeping the boat pretty much all over the year, there are four, there are four marinas on, along the shore of the Black Sea, which is not very long. It's about 240 kilometers long, which is in miles mm, 100 or even less. I would say around 100, no, slightly more, sorry. 
sli slightly more than 100 miles, 120 miles probably. Um, so there, uh, there is Constanza, which is the biggest city uh, along the, the shore of the Black Sea in Romania. And it has a decent marina. Uh, I, and I say decent because this is the place where I keep my boat. Um, it's a very touristy place, being close to the, the old historical center, uh, headquarters, sorry, center in, in Constanza. There are many, many uh, terraces and restaurants and pubs. So it's a very noisy place, and the, the guys who run the marina do not pay clo necessarily close attention to the yachts uh, that, are, that stay there. Um, so it's very good. You, of course, you, can, you have running water and electricity in, in the marina in Constanza. Um, but if you look for a night, and it's a good place if you want to explore the shore of the, the Black Sea shore, the Romanian shore. Um, but it's not necessarily the nicest marina. Further I'm, south, I'm looking sorry. at it on Google Earth as we talk, and I see that it's a big commercial port too. Yeah, it's slightly to the north of Constanza, and it's actually uh, Constanza Harbor, the commercial port, used to be, I think, the second largest in Europe in Ceausescu's time, so bef uh, just by 1989. After that, uh, in terms of uh, ships and the, the volume of merchandises that was uh, exchanged uh, annually. But after that, since we lost the, the commercial fleet, the activity uh, in the 90s and at the beginning in the first years after 2000 decreased a lot and only recently started to go up again. Okay, so I'm seeing a harbor. It's called Old Town Harbor. It looks like it's a pleasure boat harbor just north of the commercial harbor. Yeah, Is that what yeah you're talking it's called... About? Exactly. It's called Tomis Marina, and Tomis is the old Greek uh, name. Constanza used to be a Greek city-state 2,500 years ago, and Tomis is the Greek uh, name of uh, the old citadel of Constanza. And the harbor is called Tomis Marina. Okay, okay. Yes, that's, I see that here as a couple photographs that I've clicked. Right, okay. Good. Okay. All right, so, so continue on, so... Further south from Tomis, uh, there's another smaller uh, harbor in Eforia North. Eforia is the name of the place. It's south of the commercial harbor, of the big commercial harbor. Uh, it's Again, it's a private, uh, a private marina, but much smaller than Tomis. Uh, but there, being a smaller marina, people... Uh, tend to take care better of, uh, of their clients of the, of, and, of course, of the boats. Uh, it has a trickier entry, uh, nonetheless, to the harbor. The entry in Tomis Marina is very good. The marina is not, uh, the, is not well protected in the winter because the predominant winds in, on, on the Black Sea are from north and northeast, and especially uh, in the winter, so from the end of the fall until late in May, there are strong winds from north and northeast. And being north of the commercial harbor, the Tomis Marina is exposed to those winds. Can you pull your boat out of the water and leave it on the hard in the winter? Or do people exactly. do that? Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, you can do that. But you have to arrange in advance. There are not that many places 
on on the shore um, for the boat. So you need to arrange in late September or beginning of October to to get a spot on the shore to to keep the boat out out of the water of the over the winter. Now, what about this other marina? I'm looking at it. It looks like uh... the the nicest one by far is called is Limanu Marina, very close to the Bulgarian border. So about thirty less than almost thirty miles miles south of Constanza, and it's inland in a way. Uh, it it is behind um, the military harbor. You go up a narrow stream, and it is situated in a gulf, um, in between a few cliffs, so in between hills. So it okay, is. yeah, I'm 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 looking on Google Earth. I love to look at Google Earth when you're talking with these places because I can see the military harbor. I can see some military ships. Yeah, and, uh, and as you go they're up, they're very here, old. So they're boats from the Second World War and perhaps from the nine, from the fifties. Or so, but it's nice when you get there. You get the chance. There's also a big uh, shipyard uh, just behind the, the or on the other side of the military harbor where huge commercial ships are built. So it's really nice when you uh, leave the sea and start uh, to go upstream up the river towards the harbor. First, you pass near the, the big uh, boat ships that are built, and then you see the old military. Um, boats on the other side of the river so in terms of scenery uh it's it's very nice both the approach and the marina itself okay it doesn't look to me like you can really go beyond the marina unless that's a lifting okay that's a a bridge over that uh, area and it doesn't lift then so you can't go really beyond no no it's a railway that passes on top of the on top of the bridge so that that's the yeah you have to stop there but the way, uh, well, the disadvantage, uh, if you want to go day sailing, uh, and especially if you live in Bucharest, like I do, the road to Limanu is slightly longer than to Constanza. Plus, it takes you there are about three miles uh, or between two and three miles from uh, um from the marina itself to the sea. So, so you, you got to give up an hour. Uh, exactly. An hour to get there and back out. Okay, so yeah, forty-five minutes, let's say at least around forty-five minutes. But up there, it looks like there's another little harbor just closer to town too. Here, exactly, and that's the fourth marina, which is also pretty good. Uh, again, that town is a very old. Great, it is of course a new town, but the 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 ancient town. It was a Greek city state. Uh, just as old as Constanza, it's called Mangalia, and the old name is Kalatis. Um, and they they do have a marina similar to the one in Constanza. Both these marinas are better in winter than the one in Constanza because they're better protected against the the north and northeasterlies that blow most of the time, and quite strongly. All right, I want to take a break from the episode and talk to you for a minute. My guess, if you're listening to this podcast, is that you're either a sailor or you're dreaming of becoming a sailor. And more likely than not, it's the latter. You're a dreamer. Well, I'm going to try to turn you around from being a dreamer into being a doer. Now, I've talked about my personal sailing history in the past, but let's talk about you for a second. How are you going to achieve the goal of becoming a good sailor? 
Well, you're probably thinking, well, I've got to go get a boat. That's expensive. I can't really afford it right now. Or I've got to go charter a boat somewhere that may be expensive. Mm, I don't recommend either of those. The way I learned to sail was getting on a racing crew. And the way I got on a racing crew was just go down to my local yacht club here in Salt Lake City, the Great Salt Lake Yacht Club, and get on a boat. Now, I was actually invited, but if I wasn't invited, and I've used this technique in other places, in fact, I was once up in Vancouver on business, and I know there's the Royal Vancouver Yacht Club up there. My buddy and I, who were both sailors, we just went down to the Yacht Club and said, when do you have your beer can races? These are races during the week that are after work that are a couple short round-the-buoy races. And they told us, said, well, we want to get on a boat. And of course, we got on a boat. We did pretty good that night. But that's how you learn to sail. Forget all this stuff about going on a big vacation and taking a class. Get on a racing crew. Go down to your local yacht club. When they're having a race, go up to the race committee. Tell them you want to get on a boat. You may not know anything, but you're willing to learn. And you need a skipper to take you along. If you do a good job, you'll be invited back over and over and over again. And if you don't like the skipper, get on a different boat. Now, before you get on a boat, make sure you understand sailing terminology. Understand what the clue, the tack, the head, the luff, the leech, the foot of a sail is. Know what a halyard is. Know what a sheet is. Know how you control the sails. Know what a traveler is. When you get on a boat the first time, the terminology is going to be a bit overwhelming to you. So before you get on a boat, learn the terminology, which brings me to my quick advertisement. I put together an audio course for you to do this. This is the ASA 101 series of lessons, the sail, learn to sail lessons for the ASA 101 exam, basic keelboat certification. Well, the basic keelboat certification, a lot of it deals with the terminology, understanding the terminology and the basic maneuvers of a boat. So if you've listened to that course before you go down and get on a boat, you're going to be way ahead of the game, much more than I was when I first started racing. Let me encourage that you go ahead and buy that audio course. I try to make it entertaining by sharing personal anecdotes in the lessons, and I've got some pretty good reviews on it. So with that little bit of an advertisement out of the way, let's get back to this episode. Do any of the other marinas um, have haul-out facilities or just Constanza? No, no, no. All the other ones. It, I'm not sure about Eforia, the, the smaller one just south of Constanza, Eforia North. But all the other ones, Limanu and Mangalia, they do have haul-out facilities. Yeah. That's, that's traditionally what I will do. I will typically go over and go sailing for a couple of months and then pull my boat out of the water and, and leave it on the hard just because I don't want to have to worry about it during that period of time. Let me ask you, let me ask you a question on, and I don't know if you can answer this, but what about uh, customs uh, and immigration for foreign boats that are visiting uh, Romania? Is there a lot of red tape that has to be gone through? Um, yeah, unfortunately, I do not know all the details. Um, no, to, to be honest, I would, they tend to be quite relaxed. Romanians are not very, very stringent on formalities. Uh, and I'm just guessing, I saw a lot of, uh, especially in the summer, uh, there are many, many boats um, with Western sailors that come to the Black Sea. 
uh, and I'm expecting that since it's, there are so many in, in the summer, uh, they do not have any problems related to yeah to paperwork and formalities. So I'm just guessing that if you have all the boat papers with you and your um, your passport or ID, if you're from the European Union, then you would have no problems getting in and getting out. Okay, okay. Now, have you have you sailed up to Ukraine at all, or have you just stayed in uh, Bulgaria? And... No. Okay. Yeah, no, no, no. Especially since last year, when, from a political point of view, things de- deteriorated in Ukraine. Yeah. This is how I got my boat. Uh, the French sailor from whom I bought it, uh, his plan was to circumnavigate the Black Sea. And he got to Constanza from Marseille, from France, uh, and he stayed in Constanza for about a month and being uncertain with the whole pseudo war with the, with the, with the Russians and the conflict in Ukraine, uh, he decided instead, he had later on to move to the States and he decided instead of going back with the boat in Marseille and keeping the boat uh, on, on the shore for about two years, he decided to find a, uh, a new buyer, and this is how how I was fortunate to to get to get her. Oh, tell us about your boat. What type of boat do you have? I see it's a fin keel boat, so it's fairly maneuverable. Yeah, it's uh, it was built by a French manufacturer in at the beginning of the 1980s. So it's a 30 year old boat. It's called Kelt. It was built by Kelt Marine. Uh, a company that was later acquired by Kiri in Canada. And this particular model uh, was built uh, for about five years in French. And later on, it was con- it was produced by Kiri as filling 29 for many, many years. So it's a 28-footer. It's a 28-foot 20, boat. And what I really liked about it was the way the interior... I was looking for a smaller boat, uh, boat because I was, let's say, a beginning sail, a beginner in terms of sailing, and because I wanted to keep the costs down, the maintenance costs. Uh, so I was looking for a boat not bigger than, ter- than 30 foot, and then, sorry, than 30 feet. And while looking for secondhand boats... Uh, this particular model um, had one of the best interior layouts that I I saw on on boats of its size. How long does it take you to get from Bucharest, uh, where you live, to, Con- down, to, Con- yeah. to Constanza? Yeah, uh, it is a highway from a complete highway from Bucharest to Constanza and you can get there in less than two hours. Oh, okay. So it's fairly fast then. You can also, yeah, you can go day sailing. You leave, I I leave early in the morning uh, and I have enough, I can sail for four, four or six hours, four, five, six hours and then return to Bucharest later in the evening. So it's very convenient from this point of view. So north of Constanza, um, is there any? I'm looking at. Looks like a fairly flat coastline, and there's not a lot of protection yeah. there. Actually, uh, I'm not sure if you know about the Danube Delta. I'm uh, looking at it right now. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. 
it is that this is one of the wildest spots in um, in Europe and it is a natural reserve and it is on the UNESCO list of um, places that are protected uh, and it is fabulous um, it is it was formed over many many millenn millennia and it is a place still very, very wild. Of course, there are villages uh, with where fishermen mostly live throughout the year, uh, and it it can be reached only by boat. Uh, you can there to the northeast, uh, or if you follow the if you try to track the Danube Delta to the Danube itself. The Danube, at some point in the interior, the Danube, the, the, the river splits in, in three canals. And that's the place where the Danube Delta uh, actually starts. Where the river itself uh, gets split into canals, there is a big city that can be reached by car, of course. But from that point onward, the only access in the Delta is by boat. And the traditional way is to go to those to that big city, to the city of uh, Tulcha by car, by car, and then go by boat. But again, one of the the other uh, nice sailing adventures in Romania is to go by boat to the old city of Sulina, which is on the middle, on the canal in the middle. And this is a canal that was used for commercial purposes, so there, it was enlarged. Uh, it doesn't have a marina itself for sailboats, but you can go by sailboat and then find a spot to um, close to the shore and basically you can find a mooring line and uh, tie your boat to one of the, one of the pontoons there. And it's great to have a dinghy with you so that you can explore the, the canals. Hmm. Now, to get into the canals, you would actually enter from the Black Sea. Is there a, uh, is there a dredge channel that you can get up through? The... Yeah. Okay, okay. The only one, it is one used by big ships. Uh, on, and the only one that's feasible is on the middle canal on, on Sulina. Um, yeah. I've never been. Uh, this was one of the plans for this year, uh, but so far, with a very busy racing schedule, I didn't have time to go sailing on my own boat. Unfortunately, <laughs> I wanted to do it. I'll I'll try to do it later on in September or beginning of October. Uh, actually, the Danube Delta is also a great place to go fishing. So, if any if you or anyone is interested in fishing. It is a fabulous place. It, it is a maze of small canals and bigger lakes that, as I said, can be accessed only by both. Um, and it's filled with, with various species of wild birds. And again, the, the fauna, the flora and the fauna are really, really diverse. Hmm. Okay. I hadn't really thought of that. I know I talked to uh, years ago when I kept my boat in Ivalik, Turkey. I'd met a couple two two fr uh, Dutch couples that had brought their boat up from, uh, I think they started in Amsterdam, somewhere in the Netherlands, and got up and through the canals and got on the Danube and gone all the way down the Danube and then down through the Black Sea and ended up in Turkey. And 
I asked them, the men how they liked it, and they enjoyed it. I asked the wives, and they sort of nodded and said, oh, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they didn't go to, through the Delta. Uh, th this is one of the, I told you that in the summer there are many uh, sailboats of Westerners, uh, people, as you said, from, from Netherlands and from Germany uh, who arrive on the Black Sea, but they go uh, on the interior canals and then on, on the Danube, on the river. And at some point, uh, there's a, another artificial canal that was built by Ceausescu close to Constanza uh, that takes, that gets you from the Danube directly to the Black Sea. Oh, so that's the shorter route then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if they'd gone up to the Danube, they would have had a whole different experience in the Danube Delta then. It would have been a different experience for them. That would have been... Yes, yes. But I'm not sure if they the, the trip would have been pretty long, uh, and I'm not sure if they would have had any places to actually to stop the boat or along the way. Yeah, I, I, I don't know exactly. On the interior, I know that in Sulina, uh, which is uh, one of the places where the second canal gets into the Black Sea, there's a big harbor, and there are some spots where you can tie your boat to, to the shore. But other than Sulina, I'm not sure where they could have stopped on the way, and it's a pretty long way. They would not have been able to do it in a day. It would have taken a few days. And it looks to me like there's a couple other places as you approach the Delta that would offer some protection. There's some little islands off of the Delta if it's not yeah. too shallow there. Exactly. That's the problem. And I, <laughs> Because uh, the Danube is a huge river. It, it is the biggest river in, in Europe. Uh, it carries a lot of sand and debris and basically all the... the I would say the land along the shore uh, gets transformed continuously every year. And it's very shallow and it's filled with sand. And this is the reason why the entry on the first canal of Sfintu Gheorghe, further to the, to the south from Sulina, is really, really tricky. And it's difficult to be entered by boats that have a kill they that have a draft of two meters or more than two meters okay okay and so, I, yeah so your boat and my boat both look like they have about a two meter draft yeah and uh, so you would i would not try to get that i would not venture with my boat although my boat has 1.7 meters i would not venture there on the first canal okay maybe going slowly on a perfect day because also you go, you have the swell behind you. As I said, most of the, usually the wind blows from north and northeast. It pushes you towards the, uh, towards the shore. And even if you have up-to-date charts, still from one year to the next, all the, uh, the sandbanks built underneath the water uh, get moved from one place to another. And yeah, a place that was open the year before is not necessarily open for entry the following year. Okay, but in Solana, you can actually, it looks like there's a little town there, and you can go visit the yeah. little town as well then. Yes, and again, it's a very nice town from a historical point of view. In Before the Second World War, when Romania was a very modern and modern-looking country, and... Uh, 
most of the um, rich people in Romania used to be, build villas there uh, that later on, of course, were taken by the Communist Party and were the descendants and the families lost their privilege to use the villas, were confiscated by, by the state. But nonetheless, they still exist. So it is an, an old city that has this historical side. Of course, it was marred by all the communist blocks that were built later on. It has also a very, very interesting church, uh, sorry, cemetery, where people of three different religions are buried. There are Jews. Romania had a, a very big communities, community of Jews before the Second World War. Uh, of course, there are Christians and also Muslims because along the Black Sea, uh, there, are, there are still Turks and uh, descendants of Tartars. So there are Muslim people still living. Hmm, okay. So from a cultural and historical point of view, Sulina is a really nice place to visit, and it's a great place to start exploring the Danube Delta. Especially have a dinghy, or if you hire a fisherman with a boat uh, who can take you to nice spots. Be sure to tune in next week for the second part of this interview. Well, I hope you enjoyed learning about the Black Sea. I did. I got more information from this interview on the Black Sea than all the web research I've done before. Now, he did give me a couple links to some books that are out there on the Black Sea, but they're fairly old books. They've been out there a while, and there's been new marinas and infrastructure built since these books were written, so I'm not even sure I'll bother with them. I just may go sailing and learn as I go. Again, if you want to learn to sail, if you're just starting out, the first thing you have to do is learn the terminology, learn the basic maneuvers, know what a head attack, a clue is on a sail, the leech, the luff, the foot, a jib, a halyard. Learn the terminology. Learn the basic maneuvers. That's, that's what I really cover in my first lesson, basic keelboat certification, sailing, learn to sail, basic keelboat certification lessons for the ASA 101 exam. That's what's covered in that audio course. If it's something that's of interest to you, if you want to quit dreaming and start becoming a sailor, consider buying that course. All right, thanks a lot. If you have suggestions for people that should be interviewed or ideas for future shows or questions, drop me an email, franz, F-R-A-N-Z, at medsailor.com or use a contact form at the website. Thanks for listening. Joe, you have something to tell me? No, I don't think so. I just got off the telephone with Bill Rutherford. Princeton can use a guy like Joe. What? Princeton can use a guy like Joe. His exact words. That's unbelievable. You're as good as in. I knew you could do it. Haven't I been telling you, every once in a while, you just got to say, what the heck, and take some chances. You are so right. You made me very proud. I was just thinking where we might be 10 years from now, you know? <laughs>
The introduction and exit quotes for this podcast were from the movie Risky Business, released in 1983 and written by Paul Brickman. The dialogue, which was used in order, were played by Curtis Armstrong, who in the movie played the character Miles Dalby, Nicholas Pryor, who in the movie played Joel's father, Mr. Goodson, and Tom Cruise, who was the main character, who played the character of Joel Goodson. One of my favorite movies of all time.